to the Community Pulse podcast. Uh, we are talking about, once again, about burnout. And uh, this is our second episode. I'm PJ Haggerty, uh, at Asplenic on Twitter. I'm Mary Thingval, at Mary underscore Grace on Twitter. And I'm Jason Hand, at Jason Hand on Twitter. And if you were with us for the last episode, you know that we were talking a bit about burnout, kind of the definition, where we find it, how it works. Um, and in, in some ways, we started to speak about how to recognize it. We have our guests, John and Jessica, who, uh, why don't you introduce yourselves once again for those people who may have missed the first podcast. Sure. Um, Jessica Fish, at Fishica on Twitter, and I am an activist, educator, and community builder. I work for Leader Networks, which is a research and strategy firm for communities and um, digital initiatives. And um, I have been doing mindfulness, uh, diversity, and inclusion work for about 10 years. Uh, John Willis, Bocciglup on Twitter, um, kind of all things DevOps, I guess. <laughs> um, work at Docker right now, but... Um basically a startup guy, but, but very interested in, um, in this topic of burnout and, and health and, and diversity and <laughs> all the things. Well, I, I, all I, the I think all, all of these things, I mean, essentially traveling around, all of these things lead into one thing, which is a, a better community and a better, you know, tech community, not just DevOps or, or DevRel, doesn't really matter as long as it's part of a better community. Um, one of the things that we wanted to start with is kind of, how do you spot signs of burnout? Like what are, what, when you see it, uh, I know that in, in the interim break there, Jason was saying, you know, if you walk up to him and he's spotted in his face that he's starting to, things are starting to go south. What are the red flags that are kind of universal that you see as someone who's clearly burning out? You know, I'll, I'll take a first crack out of it. Um, there's a, there's this woman, Jerry Polio has this BDOC, which is really interesting. And she talks about frustration, moving to anger, moving to apathy, then moving to burnout. And so like good example, if I ran into Jason at a conference and we see each other quite often and, and he said he was, Oh my goodness, I was just so on the road. This has been crazy. I, you know, I'd be okay. Well that, yeah, you know, we'll the club, if he's if like Jason is really really passionate like so if I went to him and said have you seen the latest thing about Canavan and his response back was like Who gives a shit right then I'd actually be whoa whoa wait wait a minute something's not right there with uh, and I've had that with me where you know like Gene is a good friend of Gene Kim and the Phoenix Project and all that but I've had my kind of bouts getting really close to burnout and and you can your friends will notice. That, you know, like you can tell really quick, you know, if I'm not talking about a certain thing with things, you know, people that know me are going to know really quick. Whoa, whoa, why is John not interested in this subject? Or so I think that that's trying to identify that kind of, um, you know, that kind of curve that, that Jerry Puglia does, like from frustration. You know, frustration is I'm just tired of traveling. Your know, anger is, you know, damn it, those people make me travel all the time. Apathy is like, you know what? I don't even want to talk about this, uh, you know, any, you know, I, you know, like, yeah, you know, Kinevin or, you know, or complexity theory, like, you know what, what now, John. Jessica, what do you see some of the signs of, of burnout being? You know, so it can range from everything from, um, you know, insomnia to having trouble uh, keeping up at, at work, just this constant um, uh, feeling of, of dread. Uh, uh, you know, everything from like the apathy to anger that John was just talking about to um, also, you know, uh, 
either the beginnings or the ex exacerbation of uh, things like anxiety, depression, um, a pulling away from, from colleagues. Um, I've also really seen it manifest, especially amongst our age group, as uh, an increased dependency on drugs and alcohol. Yeah, I, th I think I think that's key. I also I, I I've noticed from from my personal perspective that I mean, especially in the community field, but in technology in general, people tend to stay really connected. So you're seeing them, you know, at conference and events, and you're seeing them, you know, on Twitter and talking about, you know, this is, you know, like John was saying, check out this really cool thing. Docker just made Kubernetes is amazing. Blah blah blah, blah. and you see all this, and then if you suddenly see like a decrease in that, um, I think that's a huge red flag when someone. I think that's the beginning is like some, you can see someone starting to disengage. Um, and yeah, sometimes it's like I needed a break, so I stepped away. But I think that to, to me, that's a huge thing that makes me say, maybe I should at least reach out and say, hey, I haven't seen you around in a while. What's going on? I think some other, some other things too, because these are things that, I, that happen to me. And I know a lot of it really is just a matter, is, it's more exhaustion than, than burnout. But I think exhaustion can be an early indicator of, of things going south. But there, there have been times where um, I wake up, you know, at a hotel and don't even know what city I'm in. Or I, I can't find my, my truck in the airport parking lot. My memory just starts to just let go of things that it seemed to think weren't important, you know, because I'm trying to think about too many other things. I'm too stressed out about, you know, just too many balls in the air, too many projects. But also, it's more than that. It's the physical effects that happen when you're tr constantly traveling and switching time zones and up early and uh, to be in an event and then to bed late. There's just there's a lot of you know it, a lot of the things that John and I talk about just in, within our DevOps community is about contributing factors. There isn't really this one thing that's going to cause burnout. There's lots of things. Right. And right. for me, it's paying attention to all those lots of things, which is oftentimes really hard because there are a lot of little things that you're just like, eh, maybe I just you know didn't quite get enough sleep or I had too much coffee and I'm feeling anxious right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's probably a lot of stuff actually. Right. I think one of the things for me, and you touched on this, but the exhaustion factor of, you know, I'm someone who tends to be fairly outgoing, fairly involved in activities, fairly involved in, oh, hey, this thing's going on over there. Let me go check it out. And the second that I start to see both personally and professionally, like, oh, there's stuff going on. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> like, sorry, not going. No, I really don't care about that concert that I bought tickets two months ago and was super excited about or no I really am not going to go to that after party tonight at the conference that I'm at even though my friends are there and I never get to see them except at conferences right. like stuff like that for me is really the like oh okay there's a problem and I mean sometimes like genuinely hey I'm recovering from a cold I really shouldn't be out again tonight that's different right it's the no I don't I don't care I don't want to go I don't there's nothing really preventing me from going there's no real reason why I shouldn't but I don't care enough to and I think that also ties into what Jessica was saying there is a lot of times and and I know that that Mary you may have seen me do this like a lot of times they compensate like I don't want to be at the event but I have to be at the event mm -hmm. so I'm going to drink a lot at the event and that's kind of how it goes and I mean not that this is a weird not that I believe I have a problem maybe I do maybe I don't that's a whole other episode um <laughs> But our culture lends to the fact of if there is a problem, we're masking it. Mm -hmm. um, am I burning out? No, I'll just have a few more drinks and I'll feel better about it. Mm. Um, and I think maybe that even leads into, because I mean, alcohol doesn't solve problems, kids. Um, that leads into what John was saying about the, the more severe issues of clinical 
burnout, which, which often stem from clinical depression and not being recognized and saying, you know, oh, I go to these events and I just, I get, I get a little bit buzzed. I get a little bit drunk. Next thing I know, I'm going on stage before I go on stage. I'm going to take a shot. Not a big deal. Now I don't even want to talk about these things. I just want to drink. And now I'm, I'm considering, you know, checking out for the rest. Well, one of the things that um, I think is good, you know, I mean, you know, I think, you know, I mean, it doesn't sound like I'm bragging, but I think that article did can open a part of our industry because one, not only a lot of people talking about it where we weren't really talking about it, but um, I see this happen a lot now on like Twitter or like somebody will, um, will ping me and say, John, did you just see such and such as tweet? I know you know him really well. You know, can you see if everything's okay? It happens a lot. And then even myself, I'll do some wacky tweet and I'll literally get a couple of DMs going, are you okay? And I don't mind that, right? Because that we're, we're kind of on watch for our friends, right? And that, that's really exactly. cool, right? Um, and so I think that's good where, you know, I get calls from people and say, you know, have you talked to so-and-so lately? You know, I just had a conversation with her or him and like that didn't sound good and I don't know him well enough, right? So I think there's a lot of that going on. I, I did want to say one other thing that going back to that MBI we talked about in the last, you know, the Maslach burnout inventory that, you know, the things that are easier is exhaustion and cynicism. By exhaustion, we can see it, right? We can see cynicism in the sense of depersonalization. You know, like a good example would be my Kinevin thing, where if Jason said, you know, I don't give a shit about Kinevin or complexity, right? And I know, whoa, whoa, something ain't right. The efficacy is the silent one because that's between you and this fantasy of what you think the, your job or is, is respecting or not respecting. Right. Because you start getting into this struggle of they don't think I'm worth this. Right. And you can't really there's not many people you have that conversation with. Like my company really doesn't respect me in this organization. And, and you can like, again, to play armchair psychologist for the young man who committed suicide. If you saw his 24 hour tweet stream, um, it was clearly he was struggling and battling this notion of what he thought his responsibility was as a sysadmin. And, uh, you know, and, and so I, that's the one I, I really do worry about because I think that's the one that, that happens really fast. Or in our view, wait a minute, I just talked to Bill three, you know, a week ago. But what you don't know is Bill for six months was having this, this mental battle, this silent um, struggle with, you know, some, you know, which, again, in the clinical set basically becomes – and I've, I've been there. I, I took the MBI and I was, you know, fire engine red on efficacy. And the report that you get when you take it for $15, it says, if you're in this area, go see a psychiatrist. Anyway, so. I think that, that, that leads in nicely to kind of the next question. So, so we figured out how we spot it. Um, what, what do you do? You, you realize somebody's going, you know, off the rails. Well, maybe not off the rails, but things aren't going well. They're clearly on fire, if not completely burning out. Um, Jessica, what do you do? Do you, do you jump in? Do you, do you make that call or how do you, how do you go gently into the night, so to speak? Hmm. Um, all right. Well, I'm going to approach this from a slightly different perspective. And instead of it being like me seeing it in a friend, um, you know, a lot of the communities that I work with are brand or B2B or associations. And I'm working with community managers who are spotting this or, you know, getting disclosed this kind of stuff from their members. Um, and so, you know, we have, you know, 
I would love to see this be uh, a deeper part of community management training of this kind of like triage response. Um, you know, so there are some communities that have it you know, really well set up, like this is what you do if somebody discloses that, that they're in you know, some deep um, you know, psychological trauma or harm or concern. And so you know, a couple of the things are A, to you know, respond, to, um, to listen, to keep them talking, um, to acknowledge that you, you care, um, and then to find you know, appropriate resources. Uh, you know, again, um, they might they might range in scope and size, and I've I've got a list, and you know, we should maybe that's something we can put in in show notes, um, because there are so many organizations out there that folks can call or text now um, to get additional additional support. Um, so so that can be that can be part of it, and then um, you know, I guess I can't overemphasize the importance of not making judgments, of not trying to diagnose, of just really being a completely open ear um, and asking them what they need for support. Um, and you know, reaffirming their value, um, how much they mean to you, and then, and then keeping tabs, right? The issue is, is I think a lot of times we'll check in on somebody um, and they tell us, oh, I'm, I'm fine, it was just a bad day. And then we forget, we forget to check back in two days later or a week later. And in my experience, um, that's where the rubber really hits the road is like, I'll put it, if I'm, you know, if someone in my life is really struggling, I will actually put it in my calendar, check in, check in, check in, check in. Brilliant. Brilliant. You know, and, and I think all of that above, that's, you know, awesome, awesome advice. Um, and then the, the, what I would add to is one of the things um, we did, um, a burnout open space and interop, right? Like imagine that, right? Network, hard network people, you know, and, and, but we, they brought, it was in Vegas and they brought in um, uh, a, a, somebody who ran a suicide prevention center in Vegas. Right. And so he just listened to the whole thing and he didn't say anything cause he didn't want to kind of, he didn't know what was appropriate. In the end I asked him, I said, well, can you give us your feedback? And a couple of things he said, you know, one of the things, is you know to the point of um, no judgment but there's a silent judgment in other words if somebody says you know well you know i'm doing this this this, and you say oh you know you're okay everybody does that you, mm. like that's not telling them that you're connecting with their feelings you're actually telling them that they're different because they at that point when they're in that clinical zone they don't believe it's everybody it's just them in this spiral cycle and anything you say where and you're just trying to do be nice to helpful like you know, but no, you know, you shouldn't feel bad. Everybody does that, right? Um, and so you, you need to clearly stay away from that. Um, everybody, or you're okay, or you know, you just, you know, kind of, kind of stay away from that. Normalizing the situation. Yeah, no, no. You and, and in fact, here's the here's the second part, which plays in this really well. Which I would have never realized this is um, most people think that asking, "Are you committing suicide?" is something that would be scary to ask or maybe even like force them to go down a path. He was saying that's the greatest question you can ask because that actually, if they are, he says, you, you see this like just, um, you know, body drop going, Oh my God, you understand what I'm going through. So that was one I'd never, you know, I would have never thought I would have totally not been the person even to a very pretty close friend. Um, to say, you know, let me ask you, are you contemplating suicide? Um, and, 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 and if that's what they're thinking, that might be the best question you can actually ask. And then 
you know, straight to if you have to drive them or state like checklists, you know, come back every whatever, get them to some clinical help, right? Like that, that you know, whatever you got to do, go pick them up, drive them, hold their hand, not let them go, you know, do whatever you have to do to get them to yeah. um, where they need to be. Yeah, John, no, I, I absolutely second that. You know, I think it's a responsibility that we all have to have to, to get better about asking that question. Um, you know, I was just reading this morning the rate of, of, of suicide amongst teen girls has quadrupled in like the last 10 years. They're kind of equating it to the rise of social media. And, um, you know, that question is so important. And I, I throw it out there a lot with folks. And, you know, if it's not, on the table, then it's like, no, no, no. But if it is, like that, that is a really profound piece of information to have. And that, that sets me on a whole different, you know, triage plan. Um, it sets them, right? Because they're like, oh my God, you actually, you know, as opposed to, you know, everybody gets this, you're like, you know where I'm at, right? Like you, you become that, like, you get this connection. Um, fortunately, I, I, or unfortunately, I haven't had that chance. But the way this—he was actually a pastor and ran a suicide. The way he explained it, it was so clear that how appropriate that question is. It, it sounds like uh, almost that we need to become not only a lot more vigilant and just watching, you know, for for those who we care about and work with and that kind of stuff, um, but also we ourselves maybe have to step outside of our own comfort zones and ask some things that just seem a little bit difficult to ask or engage in conversations or, you know, reach out to somebody that you don't really know that well. And, and, and that sometimes is hard, you know, but to just be a good person means um, you put that comfort that you're used to aside to do the right thing. Um, something I feel like I've been struggling with and trying to do much better here recently with, you know, a lot of the election stuff. But um, I think it's kind of the same type of deal is that, these are these can be difficult questions and conversations, but um, they will actually um, make things better if you just get that thing started. You know, well, I think I think, it, I think it's tough culturally too, because I mean, as as Americans, especially, you know, I, I was raised in a a close knit Irish Catholic family, as you do, and there it's like feelings. No, we don't have those, and we don't talk about them, and we'll worry about that at your wake. Uh, but other than that, it's you don't you don't talk about it. so trying to bring about in myself the ability to reach out to people and say, Hey, you look like, you know, you are not having a good time of it anymore. Um, and you don't want to be places and you are slowly disappearing from the radar. I want you on my radar. Um, but I have to take that step. And I think that's the key. And I think that's what both John, Jessica and Jason, could we have gotten another J name for this episode? Um, but John, Jessica and Jason are saying, you know, we need to be advocates on behalf of our own selves in order to be advocates on, on behalf of other people. Yeah. And I think that's the key is we are advocating so often for other people that we as community people have the wrong impression. I'll say that from the start, the wrong impression that we always have to have it together. That yeah. we always oh, have definitely. to be the ones that are okay. We always have to be the ones that are reaching out to others. And well, if, if, if we aren't okay, then we can't do our jobs right. And that, that's not an okay thing. And that, that's where the fear of admitting it kind of comes in too. Exactly. You know, it's, it's, uh, and I've seen it so many times that just simply getting up on stage and saying, or, or writing a blog post, you know, similar to what John, getting up on Twitter and being like, you know, hey, I'm not okay. I'm totally not okay right now. I am fucking falling apart. Right. But, but one of the things that, you know, one of the kind of 
um, the things that was really interesting early on was there was a woman over in Europe during that kind of first couple of days after I wrote the bar article, people kept sending me, you, got, you need to watch this woman's video. And I'll dig it out and put it in the show notes. But one of the things that she talked about her, her experience of burnout, um, but she talks about this story about being vulnerable and vulnerable in like, you can be vulnerable in that writing a blog article. There's a young man who did a, talked about depression at Davos Days, New York. Uh, he was vulnerable. Um, but vulnerability also could be just being silly, right? Like, so this, this woman talked about um, how she just liked being silly and she, every day um, she would, these automated doors, she'd physically open them. And there was an exchange student from Asia there and he'd watch her for like the first three or four days and finally got the courage to go up to ask her and like like I know you know those doors open and it was you know language translation issues and all that right and um he says I know you know that those doors are automatically open but why do you open them and then she explained to him that she was just being silly and then two days later he came in and asked like how come everybody puts Christmas trees in or trees not trees trees in her house from November December um, you know, and like, he didn't understand it, but he didn't know anybody he could talk to. Right. Oh so, yeah. So the point, the meta point there is, um, trying to figure out your version of mine is being silly and approachable. And most people know that, you know, I'm not the kind of, I, you know, cause I'll, I'll do silly things. And that I think opens up people to be more likely to talk to me. Um, yours might be just telling the story about your depression or your anxiety. Um, but I think that that opens up that. Uh, availability for people to feel that psychological safety to want to be able to tell you something that they might not hey I'm an Irish Catholic I'm the same way we we, play, <laughs> we sing guitar at our wakes man we, we yeah like, exactly yeah. so it's, but no it's it, songs and nobody's sad because exactly. this is not allowed and it's been a hard thing for me but my vulnerability is being kind of silly which gets people to you know, and I think we all, we need to, you know, and obviously, like Jessica said, we need to listen like this, no tomorrow, listen, listen, listen. Right. But, but being vulnerable allows uh, people to feel like that they might have that psychological safety approach with something that is, that could be kind of not on a straight line conversation. Well, so while we have the time, um, maybe we can kind of shift gears a little bit into uh whether or not this type of stuff is preventable, because I think there may be some question if it's completely preventable, but, and, and or should we just be absolutely prepared to deal with it when we notice it? Um, but maybe uh, let's start with, with Jessica, like in terms of prevention, is there anything that we should be thinking about? We, we talked about before the show, dividing this up into um, top, you know, topics that are more about the professional side of things and, and preventing it, and then also the, your own interpersonal ways of dealing with, with type of stuff. So can you give us some, maybe your thoughts on, on what can be done, if anything, to prevent this type of thing? Yeah. Um, all right. So my, I've got some, some of my top strategies that I'm going to share. And, you know, I think that these speak to, you know, kind of beginning stage burnout, um, but much more deeply to the stress um, specific to community managers uh, and, um, and also that kind of idea of, of overwhelm um, that, you know, after a long time can definitely snowball into to more serious things. So one of the first things I want to share is I really believe that we are all, we wake up in the morning with kind of a set amount of mental and emotional calories. Mm. You know, this is why President Obama wears like the same suits, they're laid out the night before, so that he doesn't have to waste mental calories on what I'm gonna wear that morning. 
And so if you kind of think about your, yourself in that way, like I've, I've got a tank and on a given day, my, my tank might be less because of stuff that's going on in my life or because I'm terrified of what happened in the election and, you know, I'm probably gonna lose my insurance. And, you know, there's all of this other stuff swirling around. And um, so, so that's, that's one part of it. Um, the other part is to, to really um, think about how you are organizing your day um, at work. And so you know, one, of, one of the things that is a fantastic strategy is to think about how to reorder your day. So if you start with tasks that get you fired up, that you like, um, and that actually primes your brain to stay in that mode longer throughout the day. A uh, tip that I like um, to, to keep that kind of, uh, you know, high vibe and energy going throughout the day is to really take some time to think about the space that you inhabit while you work. So researchers have found that people who stash a couple of photos, um, tchotchkes, things that help um, their, their memory, even subconsciously connect to memories that warm their hearts, um, they, they have their blood pressures better throughout the day. You get a tiny little dopamine hit every time you see those. So I really encourage people to take like, take an hour and just figure out what can, what can my desk look like? I saw a woman last week in Boston and her cube was filled with, um, like beautiful rocks and crystals and it was amazing. And she, you know, other people who like have candy and photos from all their favorite vacations. Um, I know it sounds like a, a little thing, but it, it, it's, it, it really works for folks. Um, another couple just, you know, really tangible things. Um, take all of your vacation time. Mm. Figure out how to do it. Sit down with your calendar, you know, between the Christmas and January um, session there and, and really figure out what you're going to do. Uh, the majority of millennials are not taking all of their vacation time. And this is super super detrimental. And again, multiple um, research endeavors have shown that when you take vacation, you actually come back more creative, more innovative, and with a lot less resentment. Um, I also recommend that folks uh, look at their workday and schedule uh, at least an eight to 10 minute break after every uh, 90 to 100 minutes of work. Ideally, it would be even even shorter periods, but you know, to get up, to move your body, to work around, to walk around, um, and you know, and then there's there's all sorts of you know the things that we always hear, you know, the physical activity, sleeping, breathing. Um, a lot of us hold our breath while we go through our emails. That's a condition that's called email apnea. Because um, for a lot of us, our flight or flight response gets activated where um, we're nervous. We see that email come in from the boss's boss and it, all of a sudden it's, you know, the tiger is after me. Like that is actually how our brain responds to that kind of stuff. Um, so I, I constantly will have a post-it on my, on my screen that says breathe. Um, my, you know, computer login for a long time was breathe something, something so that I was typing that in and would remember to take a deep breath. Um, I'm a big fan. There are so many apps now 
as well that can help you enter into the foray of mindfulness and meditation practices. You know, a lot of folks really love um, Headspace. Another free app is called Insight Timer, which has a ton of guided meditations as well. And you know, they, those can last everywhere from like three minutes to an hour. Um, what else do I have on here? You know, another thing that I just, I feel I have to touch on is just the, the importance of also recognizing like the socio and cultural phenomenon that is happening, especially now in our country and, you know, how that impacts all of us in our, in our work lives and that, you know, all of us hold a ton of different identities, whether it be across gender, race, sexual orientation, ability. Um, and those are all, those all come into play when we're talking about any of this. Um, and I think, you know, now more than ever, uh, and to, to understand the, the makeup of, of who we are, you know, I talked in the last episode of like showing up to work holistically, um, and how can we create organizations that are not just looking at diversity as like checkboxes, but are really inclusive in creating, you know, power structures that are inclusive, um, that everybody's, everybody's opinion is welcome at the table. Um, and I, I think that that would also go a long way to help us normalize conversations ab about everything we've been talking about and take some of the taboo away. Right. It's always amazing to me how much those seemingly little things, and I say seemingly because I don't actually think they're little things, but how much those seemingly little things make a difference, right? Like remembering to breathe. Cool. Sounds simple enough. Sounds easy enough, but it's something we don't do. Mm -hmm. Like I, similar to your post-it note that was, that was reminding you to breathe. I have one on mine that, and I'm not even sure where I found this originally, but it's an acronym for stop and it's stop, take three deep breaths, observe body sensations, thoughts, and emotions, and then proceed, figure out how, mm -hmm. how I should respond. And doing that when I would run into issues with, you know, opening my inbox in the morning and I have 70 new emails and going, oh, I'm never going to get through my day and how am I going to do this? And I'm never going to be able to get everything done. And like, wait, wait, no, hang on. Okay. How do I tackle this? What am I feeling? How do I work through it? And then how do I, how do I proceed? Because I, I will get through it and I can get through it, but how do I approach it in a way that actually helps me acknowledge, no, I can do this versus just, okay, fine, I have to do it. And how do I get it done? And I'm never going to be able to do everything. And resetting that mindset can be such a huge, huge deal. I was just going to add a couple of things. One is, um, you know, on the how to deal with friends, the World Health Organization has these videos called Big, uh, the Big Black Dog. And one of them is a really good one for tell you how to deal with a friend or a loved one that's got depression. It's amazing. The other one is just um, helping, you know, people who are in depression. So I think those are two good videos. Um, what some, A book that's come up quite often in DevOps Open Spaces on burnout. Uh, I was reluctant for the first part of the year to recommend a book to anybody, but it came up in by a lot of other people. And, and it was a book that helped me years ago with depression. It's uh, Dr. Burns, Feeling Good, The New Mood Therapy. Uh, actually exercises to kind of filter the way you think. Um, and then one last thing, which is the mindsets. If you haven't, um, you know, talking about stress and things like that, um, there's actually three um, great researchers. Uh, Carol Dweck is probably the foremost on mindsets. 
and then there's a woman called Alaya Crum, and then a more recent um, Kelly McGonigal. Um, she's got a book called The Upside of Stress. I actually recommend you follow these researches in reverse order. So start with Kelly McGonigal on stress, and what you'll find is there, you know, how you um, think about, um, you know, um, the, the way you think about um, in your frontal cortex, how you deal with, how you think about something as kind of a, kind of a, a learning or a fixed mindset worth a growth mindset, growth mindset. It's amazing stuff and, and how you can actually make stress. Uh, it, 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 it flows right into the whole anti-fragile. You can actually uh, use stress to make you stronger. And, and, and it's, it's amazing how these kind of mindsets, the difference between a fixed mindset and a growth mindset, how simple, um, just in short, the original Carol Dweck did all this stuff with students where they took students who were in economically depressed areas who thought they had no hope. And they basically taught them through very short exercises, growth mindsets and the statistical data on the difference is amazing. And you go all the way back to Kelly McGonigal who talks about how we could actually us the people on this podcast and people listening could use stress as kind of a weapon. Awesome. We'll definitely make sure those are all on the show notes. Yeah. And one other thing I want to add, I know we're getting short on time here and we'll start wrapping up, but um, something else I think it's important for us to um, mention, especially if um, you know, well, let me just start over. When I started the job uh, of evangelist or when I was interviewing for the job of evangelist, I was told right up front, this job has a, um, an 18 to 24 month um, life cycle. Most evangelists will burn out within 18 to 24 months, um, which I thought was very interesting that there was somehow, somehow an already perceived known amount of time before I said, you know what, I'm done with this. I can't do it for, for whatever reason. Um, and I think too, not that that's a bad thing to, to present that up front. I think that's good information that I'm, I'm glad I knew about because it sets my own expectations on what I should be paying attention to. But I think something, something about that needs to be shared within the hiring process of, of everyone's jobs. Mm -hmm. I think that, um, especially within the industry, the, the software industry, we see a lot of times in job descriptions that we're looking for the next um, JavaScript rock star or, you know, system admin ninja. And all these the people are, they're setting expectations that we need a hero and that we want you to be the hero and that you are going to have these expectations of just you know, saving the day constantly. And I think we, we create that when we set, you know, set up a, the job description. And so people come in thinking, well, this is what the job description said that I'm supposed to be the hero here. And uh, anyway, I just see a lot of people saying, you know, in their marketing messaging, in their hiring tactics and in their hiring language, they're looking for rock stars. And so then we try to, we try to be a rock star and we just can't, it's just not possible. So just, you know, if you know anybody who's, who's, looking to hire people and you're going to be somehow involved with writing the job description or you, you have friends in your HR department, just maybe spread that around and say, we've got to stop with this, you know, this language about looking for the next superhero within our company. And the, the hero culture has just, you know, that's caused so much more problem than good. Yeah. yeah. Kind of the idea that's, that's moving by the wayside. Now the idea of the 10 X programmer, there's no such thing as a 10 X programmer. Stop looking for one. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, and this comes back to right to, to building inclusive community, which is collaboration, right? <laughs> like you, you might not have the rock star programmer, but can you assemble a rock star team? That's yes. a perfect. And are they going to accomplish more if they feel like many hands make light work? 
you know? And so I, the, the collaboration model, like we've really got to get back to thinking about, you know, not everybody is going to be this out of the box, super creative, funky thinker. Um, but if you have one or two, okay, how do we support their skill set in a way that the whole thing becomes more sustainable for everybody? You know, I just, I, I know I'm going to butt in, it's going longer, but it's uh, something I've been, I've been wanting to research. And I finally, over the weekend, started doing it. Google spent five years trying to answer one question of research, and it was what makes a great team. And the answer was psychological safety. And, mm -hmm. and they, they spent five years with anthropologists, sociologists, psychologists, engineers. Uh, they looked at um, over 150 years worth of work in the yep. industry. And, and they came up with the, I mean, they have a, they have a, that's the, the top tier, but the bottom line is that the, the, the best teams in all their studies were the ones that had a high you know, psychological safety. It means that anybody felt safe to, to object to, and there was no rock star, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. Right. Absolutely. Awesome. And the truth of the matter is like most people don't feel safe at work. I love that. I love that Google research is phenomenal. Um, and, you know, and, and what is it? It's like two thirds of Americans, their biggest complaint about their job isn't the work, it's their boss <laughs> because they don't feel safe. Right. And that safety plays into a lot of being able to say, hey, I feel like I have too much on my plate or, hey, can I sit down and talk to you about my priorities because there's some things that are going to slip, right? Mm -hmm. Like that safety of being able to know that I can go to my manager and say, I can't do everything and not worry about getting fired or being put on a performance plan or any of those things of just saying, I have too much on my plate. I have too much going on. I can't handle this amount and not being concerned about the repercussions of mm -hmm. that. Absolutely. Along those lines, one of, one of my favorite things that I was asked um, in the interview for the job that I'm at currently was, what's the one thing that you never want to do again? What's the one thing that you've had to do in the past professionally that you never want to do again? And that to me is such a huge question. It's such a huge indicator. And so often we're asked like, what are the things that motivate you? What are the things that you really enjoy doing? What kinds of things do you use to, to keep you excited about your job? But we so rarely ask people what burns you out? Yeah. What, what do you not want to do? What do you not want to be What makes you miserable? Exactly. Mm -hmm. And having that, that clear picture of cool, this person on my team is super motivated by X, Y, and Z they're super, super demotivated and, and burned out and unhappy when they have to do these things. Like expense reports. <laughs> <laughs> yes. For me, it's logistics. Like being able to have that, that whole holistic picture of your team allows you to be able to create those, those rockstar teams, if you will, of, cool, we have someone on the team who's responsible for these aspects and someone on the team is responsible for this thing over here. And Together, they can do this amazing project, but none of them have to be doing the things that, that we know will burn them out and that we know will, will make them miserable. And they all get to stay really driven and really excited about what they're doing. On that note, I think we need to wrap it up. Um, yep. But we should take a look at, uh, usually in episodes, we kind of mention things off the topic that we, we'd like people to check out. Um, we didn't do that in the last episode because this is a continuation. So you see what we did there. Um, so why don't why don't we start, Jessica? What's something that uh, that that of interest to you outside of maybe what we do, but something that you think people should take a look at? 
Something you've been enjoying lately. Yes. Oh, oh, I got answers to that. Okay. Okay, good. <laughs> First of all, everybody has to go watch Insecure featuring Issa Rae on HBO. It's amazing. Um, it centers the lives of two young black women and it's phenomenal. Um, likewise, there is a phenomenal new news website that is being run. Um, it's been funded and is run completely by women um, and a lot of women of color. It's called The Establishment. Um, and there, it's just rocking my world. Awesome. Fantastic. John? Oh man, you know, I, I want to, what's the video that it's um, about women and coding in our industry and it's, um, everybody tells me it's amazing, but you have to get a quorum. They, they don't show it publicly anywhere. You have to get an organization that uh, I'm trying to, I just saw it yesterday too. And it just, it gnaws at me because apparently it's just, it's a very well done of, of why, um, you know, what, what the problems are in our, you know, kind of male-centered culture of technology. And, um, and I just, it, I just can't find a quorum to get people. <laughs> but uh, well, I, I, if you can find the information, we can definitely put it in the show notes. Yeah, maybe, maybe we'll reconvene all five of us and that'll be enough of a quorum to be able to watch. Yeah, no, you have to actually have to get a theater. I mean, it's the only place you have to. Okay, so more than five of us then. Yeah, well, you just have enough people to say you're going to show it at a theater somewhere. So. Right, right. We'll definitely put that in the show notes. <laughs> Jason, what about you? What have you been enjoying lately? Uh, gosh, you know, I've been traveling so much. I haven't really had much time to myself to, to enjoy some. I'm, I'm trying to think of something I haven't suggested uh, previously. The, the one thing I, I, I definitely want to put out there are still sort of related to today's topic, and that is uh, there is an, an app, a free app that I use to, to, uh, lately to, to just sort of chill out and meditate, and it's called Calm, C-A-L-M. Um, it's a pretty good app. It does have some in-app in purchases, but um, it's been pretty nice. And then another thing, actually, I think John maybe told me about this a long time ago, is it's a thing on Netflix called Happy. It's just a like a movie oh, yeah. documentary thing. It's great. It's really good. Um, you know, not necessarily about burnout and stuff, but just, you know, kind of just different ideas about how to stay happy under all kinds of circumstances. I think it's a, it's just a good little piece. Um, gosh, I, th I think that's really it. As far as right now, I'm feeling like I'm just kind of getting back into the flow of, of normal life here. So yeah, yeah. I just, I just found that it's called de debugging the gender gap. Code colon debugging. I have seen that. Uh, someone presented it as a conference. It is absolutely, yeah, absolutely amazing. But you got to get a group to do it. Yeah. yeah. So, so maybe if you're, if your conference organizer and you're listening, consider maybe a night before a night activity where you are, you can rent out a theater and you know, get some sponsor to do it. It is absolutely 100% worth it. Cool. Very cool. So PJ, what about other things you've been enjoying lately? Well, I, I do feel like, I, I know I mentioned this when we were talking about it beforehand, but I feel like every time we do this, I mention some new album. Okay. Um, but this is wicked important. Uh, so Tribe Called Quest, after 20 years, finally came out with a new album. It features, you know, uh, it's, it's a tribute to Fife, who had passed away, one of the members of the tribe. It's called We Got It From Here, Thank You For Your Service. Um, amazing tracks. Jack White is involved. Elton John on a hardcore rap album, one of the best, Solid Walls of Sound, one of the best songs on the album. It's absolutely amazing. I think everyone should check it out. Um, and it will absolutely bring your stress levels down. I'll tell you that right now. Well, you've definitely got Jessica's support. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you, 
For those of you just listening to the audio and not watching the video, there were hands in the air. There were there yes. roofs. There was dancing. There was dancing. <laughs> well, that gives me the music that I need to download for, for my flight today. So I appreciate that. Right it, on. Is a, it is available on Spotify. So Perfect. It's really easy to Perfect. grab. Ooh, also, one well, last plug for the podcast, Politically Incorrect. Oh, okay. Sounds good. Uh, for me, things I've been enjoying lately, one is not necessarily a thing, but it's something I've been doing. I, I made a list a couple weeks ago when I was starting to feel the, the tendrils of overwhelmingness popping back up again, um, was made a, a super short list of things, small things that make me happy. Um, so heading out of the beach on a, a mid-afternoon break, I I'm lucky enough to live 10 blocks from the beach in San Francisco. And so heading down there for a quick walk uh, midday or finding a new book uh, that I can read in my spare time or spending time with friends or making someone laugh. So things that are relatively simple and small things, but things that, that fill me back up, if you will, um, rather than the things that, that are taking my energy away. Um, so that's something that I've really been trying to be conscious of lately and doing more of. Um, the other thing that's completely unrelated to anything burnout or tech at all is I've been completely reliving my childhood by watching Gilmore Girls before the new episodes come out. Uh, they might have just been released or they'll be released while I'm on this trip. So I'm I'm waiting until I get through the rest of the, the seasons and then I'm going to binge watch those on a Saturday or something. But, yeah, girl. That, yeah. that is only fair to yourself. Make sure you're caught up 100%. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I, I had a lot of people make fun of me when the new X-Files episodes came out. I was like, I'm literally watching episode one through all of season nine and oh, yeah. the movies. And they're like, that's crazy. I'm like, I just nope. want to make sure I'm at the right starting point. <laughs> you have to be. You have to have all the context, no matter how, how much you watched in the past. You got to have all the context before you watch the new ones. Exactly. So. You might miss some subtle nuance. That's right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, I'm, I'm, I misspoke before. The podcast is Politically Reactive um, with W. Kamal Bell. Okay. okay. Politically Reactive. Sounds good. Yeah. And we'll get all this in the show notes, and we will get uh, links to these things, and hopefully we can link them in the video once the video is processed. Uh, and can that, I say one last thing? Um, I did something I haven't done in years. I subscribed to the New York Times, and I and I want to pay them more than yeah. You know, I tried to get their free three months free. I didn't want to pay it. We're going to need now more than ever a uh, a news organization that's willing to fight against uh, um, whatever we're about to go into. Um, and so I think anybody who feels like me right now, based on last week, I think it'd be good advice to uh, make sure that organization stays healthy financially. Yeah, absolutely. Totally. Absolutely. Support your causes. I think that's, that's the yeah. key. Um, and with that, I think we, we're coming to a close on another episode of the Community Pulse podcast. Um, I'm PJ at Esplenic on Twitter. I'm Mary at Mary underscore Grace on Twitter. And I'm Jason at Jason Hand on Twitter. All right. Thanks, everybody. And we will see you for the next episode. Mm -hmm.